The global economy is ever-changing. How can we prepare for the future, and what can we learn from the past? I'm Sharla Jessup, president of Smedley Financial. Today, my friend and colleague, James Derrick, will share his insights on lessons learned. Welcome to the SFS Power Up Wealth Podcast, where we provide impactful insight and expert opinions on timeless financial principles and timely investment topics, preparing you to make smarter decisions with your money. James, thank you for joining us today. I'm happy to be here. James is Chief Investment Strategist at Smedley Financial. He holds a CFA designation and an MBA. James, following, studying, researching economic cycles is your jam. What do you learn that intrigues you? Well, I have been looking at cycles since I started working here about 23 years ago. And we are in the middle of what I would call just a classic business cycle or a classic economic cycle. And as as I take a step back and think about what's happening, I see that these are completely natural. Although we try to fight them, you know, we want this perpetual growth without interruption, but that's not a reality. The reality is, is that these cycles happen and they bring positive and negative, but mostly positive changes over time. Change is good. I could have a dollar for every time somebody said, but this time it's different. (laughs) <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> yes, every every time is different, but, you know, history rhymes, as they say. And so we certainly see that going on right now. You know, in the newsletter, The Money Moxie, you provide an interesting graphic that contrasts 2010s to the 2020s. What stands out as dominant changes that are impacting us today? Well, the graphic is titled, and this is in the July-August 2023 Money Moxie, the graphic is titled New Paradigms of the 2020s. And I mean, this was published uh, back in 2019. And it was the author's best guess at what was going to happen. And I found it very intriguing. I put it into an article I wrote way back then and in a presentation I gave to peers uh, way back then as well. And some of these we can already see are coming true. For example, at the very, very top, human capital human workers in the 2010s. And in the 2020s, we are moving more to robots or AI. I mean, that's been a gradual process for probably the last 150 years, but it does feel like we are at a tipping point. And if people worry about things, people worry about the change. They worry about things like robots losing their jobs. What's that going to do to me personally? What would you say about that? Well, throughout history, it's always been a concern. And in the industrialization in the United States, things went very smoothly. Uh, back in Britain, where that began in, in the 1800s, it was actually very disruptive. And so we had the benefit of, of implementing industrialization a little bit slower here, and it allowed workers to adapt. I think it is a very real concern. I wouldn't dismiss it completely, but I would say that we see it coming, and so we should be prepared, and there's going to be a lot of benefits. And I think every Everybody who looks at, at world history can see that there's a lot of benefits to technological progress, and, and it's not going to be any different right now. I agree. What else did you find that was interesting? Well, I'm, I'm fascinated by this, uh, the quantitative easing. You know, we had extremely low inflation over the last 10 years, probably averaging about 
2%. And at times, it seemed like the Federal Reserve was more worried about falling prices than rising prices. Falling prices are bad because if you know cars are going to be cheaper a year from now, you'll just wait. And so the government actually likes a small amount of inflation. But in the 2010s, inflation was so low that the Federal Reserve was worried about falling prices. And so it seemed like they could print money in the ways that they do. And we won't go down that rabbit hole today. But in the ways that they do, they could print money and there was no consequence. In fact, uh, they gave it a name. They called it Modern Monetary Theory, MMT. And it basically was like, in the modern world, we're so smart, we can print money without inflation. <laughs> yeah, we just laugh we'll now. For that now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's only... It's only 2023, and we already see the, the folly in that one. And we've gone from quantitative easing to quantitative tightening. It's the exact opposite. The Federal Reserve has to pull money out of the economy and deflate the value of assets in order to stop inflation. Basically, I would say this, though. Uh, they bought in so heavily into modern monetary theory that when 2020 came along, they doubled down. And then they double down again. And we've, we see the consequences when there's too much money given away, there's too much demand and prices go up. It's sort of a sad reality, but it's it shouldn't be a surprising one. And so the next decade will probably be one with a quantitative tightening that lasts for quite some time. We've heard a lot about interest rates staying higher longer. Does that play into this? Yes, the higher for longer absolutely does. And I think I think it's also the fact that not everyone is convinced on the quantitative easing, the need for quantitative easing to change. So the Federal Reserve uh, is tasked with bringing down inflation, so they get it. They're not openly talking about mistakes of the past, but I think that they get it. Uh, the rest of the government and the politicians uh, don't seem to get it yet. And we saw this in the 1970s, something very similar, where the Federal Reserve kept raising interest rates, 1968, uh, beginning all the way back in 1968. And then for the next uh, 15 years, uh, the Federal Reserve kept raising interest rates, trying to bring down inflation. But until everyone understands the, the challenge that's being faced, it won't work. I mean, the Federal Reserve is shoveling sand against the tide and they have a really big shovel, but they don't control everything. And so this, this is a long answer to your question about inflation, but basically there's still a lot of spending going on. And so I think that inflation, it'll cycle, but it'll stick around. Hopefully at a, a more reasonable level, even if it's not lower, even if we could maintain, that would be much better. Yeah, we've averaged maybe around 2% over the last uh, you know, in the 2010s, so maybe we'll be closer to three for the next 10 years. You know? Which is more like a historical average, really, if you go back to, you know, 1929 period. It's At average, it's about 3.1%. It's manageable. And uh, if we can go off on this tangent for a minute, I mean, what do you do about that? Well, there's a lot of options. Bonds are difficult in inflationary times. And so uh, they will work at times, if we're in a high inflationary environment, especially when interest rates are, are falling, they should be a good protection if a recession comes uh, or if recession comes multiple times. They should be good. Stocks actually tend to do all right in inflation. 
unless we see 9% inflation, which is what we had about a year ago. But, you know, if we average three or three and a half percent inflation over the next 10 years, historically, stocks do okay. That's a good way to try to keep up investing and staying invested. Sticking with your plan. Stick with your plan, as, as we often remind people. Right. What else on this chart stands out to you? Well, you know, this ties in a little bit with inflation, but globalization has been the mantra since, I would say, since World War II ended. And uh, manufacturers have been looking for low-cost places around the world to manufacture, to produce. You know, sometimes that's been in places like Mexico, but the infrastructure hasn't been as good there. And so the, the cheapest and perhaps the best place to manufacture has been China over the last 30 years. And suddenly we find ourselves valuing things differently. You know, instead of lowest cost, we're looking for resiliency. Instead of sharing with our global neighbors, we are looking to protect what we have. And so we're going from globalization, which kept inflation low, to, I guess, what you'd call deglobalization or protectionism or onshoring or nearshoring. These are all phrases or words that you will hear. And every one of them is basically a way of saying, that we are no longer looking for the cheapest place to produce things, and we're looking for a, a better places, and better is defined differently than cheapest. And so a, a whole other reason why inflation could increase. It has happened before. Again, it's a cycle like other things. Prior to World War One and especially World War II, globalization went way down as well. Global trade basically dropped. But you know what what's, I find interesting about that is that this was something that was a focus before we even had the pandemic. And then we have the pandemic and it really comes to light to everybody that maybe we need to protect ourselves. You know, we're producing everything in other countries. We need to bring some things back home or closer to home or even diversify our manufacturing. Yeah, I, these cycles have been going on and, and it's easy to look at the pandemic, I think maybe because that was the tipping point in a lot of these, these things that we're talking about. But the changes have been in motion for decades and these cycles have been going on uh, forever. You know, the, the economic cycle lasts about every five to eight years. You know, there are larger cycles that are as long as a generation, we'll say 25 years, and there are big, bigger cycles you know, that might last 80 to 85 years that, that take place in society. So there, there's just a lot of cycles. So you can't blame it on any one event. Um, a lot of these things were already taking place. I mean, one of the things that's on here that I don't want to dive too deep into was the Occupy Wall Street movement. And at the same time we had the Occupy Wall Street, we also had the Tea Party. And these were two contrasting movements about 10 years ago that you just don't hear anything about anymore. But it's just proof that uh, these things cycle. And what we're experiencing now isn't much different than what we've experienced in the past. It's just different. We've been here before. Yeah, this isn't a new trail. It's just a, <laughs> a branch of the same trail. Some of the other things in here that, that I see taking place are more gradual changes, uh, more equality with women in the workforce and in society, a move towards cleaner energy. Personally, I don't think we will ever be able to move away from fossil fuels. We need them. And the more we move away from them, let's say in the United States, uh, the more some other countries that are developing will be in need of them as well. And so so it's a process that will keep going on and, and nothing mind-blowing. And in, in reality, these transitions, if they happen slowly, give us plenty of time to adapt. Another one I see on here, um, 
you know, low taxes to high taxes. Now, this is, we could debate this all day. <laughs> we don't know what taxes are going to be like in the future. The reality is, is the government doesn't go broke, contrary to what we like to say. Uh, they can print money. They have control of the printing presses and they can print money if they want to. And so there are multiple ways that our challenges could play out right now. And I think a little bit higher inflation is probably likely. And who knows if tax rates will be higher or not. I certainly don't hear any politicians getting elected <laughs> lately that have talked about it. So It's a big concern with the looming you know, deficit, the increasing deficit and the trajectory we're on right now for the future. Yeah, it, it almost seems inevitable. And that's why I like to remind people, though, that inflation is also a possible scenario where if the country owes $34 trillion, which is a lot of money, they could try to raise taxes or they could just allow a little bit more inflation. And then $34 trillion is to tomorrow won't be what $34 trillion is today. James, we're so glad that you have the desire to follow all of these changes in the economy because our clients really benefit from that, from that, from your knowledge and understanding of what's going on, because it really ties back to what you do in portfolios and management, understanding these things. Yeah, it, it helps. I, I hope that people listening get a sense of perspective more than anything so that as they see changes, they can be, they can expect them, they can embrace them, they can be optimistic about what they see going on. You know, um, I think it helps emotionally so that you can be prepared and hopefully also uh, financially prepared, knowing that change is inevitable and we may not know exactly how it's going to play out, but we know we know the future will bring change and we want people to be optimistic and prepared. I like that. Embrace the change. James, thanks for joining me today. You're welcome. Thank you for joining the Power Up Wealth podcast. Spend the financials located at 102 South, 200 East Suite 100 in Salt Lake City, Utah, 84111. Call us today at 800-748-4788. You can also find us on the web at smedleyfinancial.com, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. The views expressed are Smedley Financials and should not be construed directly or indirectly as an offer to buy or sell any securities or services mentioned herein. Investing is subject to risks, including loss of principal invested. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. No strategy can assure a profit nor protect against loss. Please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should only be relied upon when coordinated with individual professional advice. Securities offered through Securities America, Inc., member FINRA, SIPSI, Roger M. Smedley, Charlotte J. Jessup, James R. Derrick, Shane P. Thomas, Michael B. Ani, Jordan R. Hadfield, Registered Representatives. Investment Advisor Representatives of Smedley Financial Services, Inc. Advisory Services offered through Smedley Financial Services, Inc. Smedley Financial Services, Inc. and Securities America are separate entities. Music